ESPN Films and ESPN Audio, you're listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. From the moment it first debuted in 1988, John Madden Football has pushed the technical limits of what a video game can do. Now simply referred to as Madden, it's become one of the most popular titles in the history of video gaming, and it's had a big impact on the game of football itself. But despite its current day success, the game has had its challenges along the way and almost didn't make it to market. This week, how John Madden went from football player and coach to the heart of a billion dollar franchise. Here's actor and video game fan Will Wheaton telling the story of Madden's game. He fires down the field, and it's caught on a dead run. That is Juju Smith-Schuster. Pittsburgh Steelers touchdown. 98 yards to the rookie Juju. We got Juju right here, too, so hang on. When 20-year-old Juju Smith-Schuster stepped to the mic for a post-game press conference, Juju, where'd you get all that speed? A different kind of game was on his mind. I don't know. To be honest, the reason I kept looking back because if I, you know, I'm adding my speed is like 82, 83. So I was like, no, nah, I, I think you're gonna catch me, gonna catch me. And then next thing you know, I pulled away. <laughs> <laughs> what should what should your speed be in Madden? I mean, after today, hopefully, you know, it'll get boost up. <laughs> today, Madden is one of the most popular video games in the world. Uh, it's referenced in press conferences and by TV announcers. Those aren't real numbers. He's playing Madden. Yeah, those are Madden numbers. <laughs> and on NFL sidelines. I got a Madden control in them, please don't. I got a Madden control in them, please <laughs> But Madden is more than just a name on the cover. Hey, you want big time football? The hits, the boom, the doink, the whap. It's all here. This is my game. To tell the story of this huge video game franchise, we need to tell the story of its namesake. John Madden. John is in his 80s now. Yeah. And it's kind of poetic that the legacy of this Hall of Fame coach lives on in a game. I remember my dad used to tell me, my dad was a mechanic, and uh, he worked hard. And, you know, I used to, you know, say, I got to get a job, I got to make some money. He said, no, no, he said, don't work. He said, just play. He said, there'll be a time when you have to go to work, and when you have to go to work, You'll work the rest of your life, so don't start it too soon. And uh, my dad would be proud to know that uh, I never started it. It turned out the game of football was all John ever needed. But his playing career as an offensive lineman ended with a knee injury during training camp of his rookie year with the Philadelphia Eagles. It tore everything, and in those days, once they operated on that. They just operated on it so you could walk again. I mean, there's no such thing as coming back. And I had to go in uh, every morning for therapy. And Norm Van Brocklin was a quarterback. And he would be sitting there by himself watching game film. So I'd just go sit in the back and just watch the film. He was always looking for things he would do, and he would, he would talk those things. One day, uh, Norm Van Brocklin said to me, uh, he called me Red, he said, Red, come on up here and sit up here and, and watch it. What was the defense, Red? And that's where I first learned football. I learned him uh, from one of the great quarterbacks of all time. John got into coaching, 
and rose quickly from assistant coach to head coach of the Oakland Raiders at just 32 years old. Hey, you jerk! You big jerk! Yeah, you! Don't get excited, John. Relax. For the next 10 years, John Madden made his mark as one of the most colorful coaches of the 1970s. You don't even watch your time. You sit back there and just throw it. Rampaging up and down the Raiders' sideline. But more than anything, what he did was just win, baby. Often in unforgettable fashion. Impossible dream of a play. But year after year, the Raiders lost in the playoffs. I mean, that was our yeah, but, uh, you know, the Raiders are a good team. Yeah, but they haven't won a Super Bowl. In 1976, though, they finally made it to the Super Bowl. Going to the Super Bowl. (laughs) What is that? Madden's Raiders dominated the Vikings to win Super Bowl XI. There's the gun. John Madden goes on the shoulders of his players. It was the greatest feeling in the world. I mean, there there was nothing that can beat it. John Madden's grin is from ear to ear. He looks like a slick watermelon. John, how's it feel? Great. Great. Waited a long time for it. Let's clear the field. I've been here 10 years as a head coach, and those 10 years have been the happiest years of my life. But just two years after winning the Super Bowl, John Madden retired from coaching. I gave it everything I had and I don't have any more. I'm not resigning, I'm not quitting, I'm not doing anything. I'm retiring from football coaching and I'm never gonna coach again. I was only 42 years old and I thought, you know, that I was gonna spend time with my family and do all these things and, uh, you know, that was kind of overrated. I mean, there was, everyone, you know, had their own thing to do and. You know, I was sitting around with the dog. So I went back and, and uh, you know, did the television. And then that kind of took its place. And then I went from playing to coaching to, to broadcasting. And and I got that same feeling. Twist there and pivot. And boom, the ball's there. Right again between the eight and the nine. Oh, is he happy. What a throw John was forging a new career in television, giving fans an insider's perspective on the game. Among his viewers was a young fan named Trip Hawkins, who, as a teenager, had tried to invent a game about the sport he loved. Since I was a football player myself, the kind of game that I most wanted to make was a football simulation game. Football's really, frankly, just a modern warfare game. And it's all about capturing all the territory. When you capture all the territory, you get points for it. He modeled his idea after tabletop games, using things like paper, Cards, numbers, dice, charts. You might compare it to something like Dungeons & Dragons. But even then, he knew this paper and dice game wasn't what he really wanted. Very quickly, I could tell that I wanted to play this with other people. And yet, a lot of other kids didn't want to do it. They wanted to go watch TV. And then I heard about computers. Tripp studied computers and game theory at Harvard University. In 1982, he left a marketing position at Apple to start a video game company called Electronic Arts. In the very beginning with Electronic Arts, the technology was quite limited. We had 8-bit 
computers that had very little drawing power, very little memory, hardly anything. And in the beginning, I thought, football, 22 guys running around the field, that's going to be too hard. And I invented a game called Dr. J and Larry Bird go one and one. And, and then as soon as that was a success, I said, okay, great, on to football. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. By the early 80s, John Madden was establishing himself as the ultimate guide to football for millions of fans. He should square it off, give the quarterback his numbers. But what made him successful wasn't just his insight or even his coaching resume. John Madden was like an incredibly knowledgeable friend who was sitting next to you on your sofa, sharing a beverage and discussing the game with you. Watch right here. Boom. That is a great stiff arm. That relatability drew in his audience, including David Hill who would go on to become the president of Fox Sports. John was like that best friend sitting there, and he wanted you to know that at Lambeau Field, by God, it was cold. But but what makes it better is the smoke that's coming in, and they're barbecuing the brats. They always got big old brats. I had one. I had one, too. I had a brat for breakfast. You got to be part of it. I mean, you can't be in an enclosed environment and, and do a football game. If, if it's cold and snowing or raining, you open the windows and let it come in. I mean, so you know what the heck it is. And not only do we have to be out in the elements, I know this probably sounds crazy, but, but we have to be standing up. You can't be sitting down. I never sat down at a football game in my life. John was a natural teacher, whether describing fans in parking lots or drawing plays on a screen. Now watch, right here, boom! He was always trying to better inform you as a listener. Most people don't really understand sports. They want to understand sports. And John loved educating the public in the game. John would tell you why. Before you go to the post, you give a corner move. Every time that you listen to a John Madden call, you were getting a PhD in football. When I started on the football project, I said, you know, um, I need some help with football. I want to have an expert mentor advisor, so maybe I can go find a coach that would do this for a fee. But I thought, if I'm going to be paying a royalty on a football game, then I want the biggest name I can get. And it wasn't that hard to figure out that it was John Madden. In 1984, Tripp contacted John, who agreed to a meeting. 
But John had developed a fear of flying, so they met in an unconventional setting. His personal assistant at the time was Sandy Montag. I first met him when I was 22 years old, and, you know, we traveled the country by train. Take 72 hours on Amtrak to go coast to coast, and imagine doing that without a cell phone. So you spend a lot of time playing cards, drinking Miller Lite. Uh, it defined who he was as a travels with Charlie sort of guy, John Steinbeck, seeing the country. And so the arrangement was, uh, I'm going to fly into Denver and get on the train with him. And then we're going to spend two days on the train coming out to the West Coast. And we're going to sit around all day and talk football. And we get to the train station and we meet him. And we get on board and we get into the dining car. And we found out that John was such a famous customer of Amtrak at that time that even though the dining car was basically closed except for mealtime, they just let him use it all day long if he wanted they would be capable of it. So we sat in the dining car. I brought my lead programmer and my producer along, but I was pretty much leading the design of the game. So Tripp told me that, that he'd gone to Harvard and had his own major, computer games. So I figured any guy that could go to Harvard, get in Harvard, talk them into letting him make up his own major, and that major be games, this isn't... This isn't just an average deal here. It had to be something special to this guy. John had this cigar that was about a foot long and about like the bottom half of a baseball bat. And he never lit it, but he played with it. <laughs> and we had, we had a captive audience with him. And so in preparation for this meeting, I had produced a huge document and a long list of questions for John. The first thing that I talked about is that I wanted, I wanted as a teaching tool. Show him. Different people, different formations, motion, movement. Because when I got out of coaching, I taught some classes at the University of California in Berkeley, extension classes on football, football for fans. Because the one thing that you can't take advantage of. And I mean, it can be a game that you can use to, to coach and to teach, teach football. And you could. Uh, put in a play and, and then play it against a defense and then see how it works and make adjustments on it. I was aware of some of the technology limitations of the machines of the day. So I found myself at least wanted to ask the question about what did you think about a skeleton level game where it's just seven on seven. And he just immediately said, well, that's not real football. I wanted 11 guys in each team. John said, well, I'm not putting my name on that game until you figure out a way to make it realistic. Because every game before that, they kind of had like, you know, three guys on a team, five guys. And I said, if we're going to do it, we have to have 11. And we have to have linemen. Uh, because if you know real, then you also know when it's not real. And I didn't want anyone to ever think it wasn't real. John Madden kept insisting that there had to be 11 on 11 or it's not a football game. But the, the reality was the technology just wasn't quite there yet. So Mike Micah has been developing and writing about video games for nearly three decades. It's just completely impossible. There is no way. He says that in 1984, at the time of this meeting, you just couldn't make what Tripp and John wanted. So uh, early computers had very simple processors. They were basically 
text machines. They were never really meant to display a lot of graphics. It was almost like if you were drawing things by hand. And so it was really easy to make a game like Donkey Kong because there's very little going on. But when you look at something like football, where the entire screen is moving and changing and animating, it was almost impossible. Admittedly, those machines were always going to get replaced by better machines, so this was not going to be a long-term constraint. But the reality is we then proceeded to bite off a really challenging technology development problem. Trusting they would be able to solve the technical problems, Tripp and John focused, for the moment, on football. And we'd stay up all night, you know, drawing plays. And we'd draw plays, you know, on big paper and then put the paper on, on the windows. Blocking the two inside linebackers. We'd be going through Utah and Nebraska and Wyoming and Illinois and all that stuff, making, making up plays for a game. The meeting on the train was really just the start of a process. We were together for a couple of days. I, I got all the questions answered that I had at that time. I, and John was living in Oakland. So occasionally we'd go over to Oakland or uh, he would come down to the office. So there, there were regular opportunities to kind of revisit and clarify things. And it was in the contract that John was going to provide a playbook. And I wanted about 130 plays. And I, I was figuring he was going to you know, basically draw out 130 plays and hand me what I wanted. And instead, he, he gave me a 1980 Oakland Raiders playbook in a great big fat three-ring binder <laughs> and said, you can use this to create whatever plays you want. And, and they came back and basically said, well, we want to put your football values and football plays and the way you design your game plan into the game. The problem was, from a computer memory standpoint, they could not put 22 players on a screen. John was pretty upset because he, you know, he felt like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be the market already. And I'm just trying to get the thing done, no matter what it takes. This development problem that was supposed to take a year took four years. Toward the end of the four year period, the auditors for the outside accounting firm came to me. They say that the John Madden Football Project had become known in the last few years as Trips Folly. And that, hey, you know, you've, you've paid out $100,000 in advances against royalties to John Madden. I go, yeah, that's right. He said, well, we just wanted to let you know that we've discussed it with the finance department here and everybody agrees that this game's never gonna get finished and that there's no chance that those royalties will ever be recouped. Uh, we're telling the company to write the whole thing off like you're never gonna recover a penny of it. That is the sound of John Madden football, finally published in 1988. But you could only play it on your computer. And it was on the Apple II, and I remember it was one of the ugliest-looking football games I'd probably ever seen, but it was displaying 11 players <laughs> on each team, which was phenomenal. And um, these players were, I think they were like eight pixels tall. So imagine that, like only eight dots that your screen's capable of drawing. That's how tall each player was. When you were dealing with these early machines that had very little graphics power, the game had to be more cerebral. Uh, we then the next year came out with a version for the IBM PC. But the big breakthrough 
was the next year because I had kind of pivoted the company to start making games for video game consoles. And I decided to target the Sega Genesis. And I bet the farm on it. That was the beginning of, of the franchise for most people, because that's the version that everybody thinks of when they think of Madden football. The Sega Genesis cost $179, so everybody could afford it. It came with two joysticks, and it had a graphics chip and a sound chip. So you, you had way better graphics, and, and then we were able to uh, basically uh, build uh, an even better game. Not only did they make a better game, but they knew how to sell it. Tripp's interesting because he's that triple threat. Uh, maybe they should call him triple threat Hawkins or something because he understood marketing, he understood the technology, and he understood the consumer. He knew exactly what all three needed to have. And that's where I think Electronic Arts, they knew that John Madden was a secret weapon, not only for the consultation, but also as a name that they could attribute to the game that makes it legitimate. That, that was their secret sauce. John was all over it. He was in every part of it. You get the product, and the, the cover has him breaking through a chalkboard. Hi, everyone. Welcome to John Madden Football. And you, you turn on the game, and his face comes up. And then he was basically the announcer. Hey, he'll remember that number. And when you're calling your plays, if you weren't sure what to do, you could ask him for his advice. Later on, every generation of technology allowed the graphics and sound to be steadily towards a more immersive experience. Madden was improving every year, but Tripp found himself pulled in a different direction. And in 1994, he left Electronic Arts to try to create a new gaming platform. That same year, David Hill was hired to be president of Fox Sports, which had just acquired the rights to broadcast NFL games. The combination of Pat Summerall and John Madden for us at Fox was a must-get. And when we first went there, I remember they had a, a sign. They, they made up a, a deal that said Fox Sports. And I looked and I said, they had to take the S off that. This should be Fox Sport. Because the only sport, the only sport we had at Fox was NFL football. He was very kind to me because... Uh, you know, for God's sake, an Australian out of London producing American football, I don't think so. And I said, look, we are providing a cure for boredom. And to better cure viewers' boredom, David Hill proposed to turn John's vision for Madden on its head. One of my goals was to make the video game look like television. And then David Hill said, we want to make the game on television looked like the video game. And I thought, man, we did it. We came full circle. I've always loved video games. Most of my concepts about the way sports should be produced, I've stolen from video games that uh, I'll never forget. My son was then 12. And I would just, like as a dad, just play with him and watch. And, and I started realizing that I was more engrossed, I was more emotionally involved to a video game that someone had created than to what I was doing six days a week, which was producing live sport with top athletes. And so I started looking critically at the game to determine what had the game maker put into the elements that made it so compulsive. And so I merely copied that and uh, used it on, uh, on television. 
You can actually see and hear the changes soon after Hill got to Fox. For instance, listen to this 1993 version of the Madden video game. 28! Hut! That one didn't have a chance. Even though the audio is really primitive, you still hear the quarterback and sounds from the field. Now, listen to a CBS broadcast from that same year, 1993. The teams are lined up at the line of scrimmage here, but you wouldn't know it just listening. The quarterback and line that you heard in Madden are nowhere to be found in the CBS broadcast. Close-up audio is far more effective and impactful than close-up video. So I surrounded the field with guys with Sennheiser gun mics to get the sound of the line and, and all that stuff. Just a year later, the Fox broadcast, under the guidance of David Hill, sounds a lot more like Madden. Shanahan's probably saying right now, well, enough of that run. Let's go back to the pass. Here's Young back to throw it. And he has a man go rice wide open in the end zone. As David Hill was implementing video game tricks on TV, Madden was sounding more and more like a TV broadcast itself. And as a game that was published every year, Mike Micah says Madden always had to innovate. Madden would adopt any of the newest technologies that were coming around because you have to have a lot on the table every year for somebody to buy the game again and again. And so they just started adding all kinds of things, 3D, all the camera control stuff you had and all the audio. You started to hear games being announced like you're watching television. If you take too many of those, it's going to shorten your day. It was amazing. EA was recording thousands of lines with John every year in these long recording sessions. This is what football is all about. Perfect. Donnie Moore has been part of Madden's production staff for the better part of two decades. He says John's demand for authenticity constantly challenged the game's writers. The audio guys would write the scripts, and then they would sort of be in the recording studio with John as he recorded it, right? Are you ready? So, we're ready, John. He was not a fan of some of the lines that we had for him. Then the other team might have, oh, no, you never do that. That's a never, never. Whoever wrote that, tell them. That, that, that thought never enters a mind ever, 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 ever. No, these, no. Are, these are really some really stupid things. You I'll, got, I'll, I'll, I'll let the writers know. Anthony White, another longtime member of Madden's production staff, recalls that John accepted nothing less than a professional's understanding of the game. There was an incident where um, one of the recording sessions, uh, one of our producers mentioned, well, when I was a linebacker, uh, we did it this way. And uh, Coach Madden said, well, you must have been a pretty shitty linebacker. <laughs> we got to a point where, you know, we had to get some really football savvy, you know, people that had played the game and, and, and maybe even, you know, coached a little bit or whatever to so, help, sort of help us with our writing. You have a few timeouts to use. This few timeouts, you only have three timeouts, so they have one, two, or three. Yeah. So if I didn't want to say how many, I would just say they have timeouts rather than a few. That works for me. It was few like they got like eight or something. That'll fit just fine. That was great. John's attention to detail extended to his game as well. Madden took it to the next level because of the realness of it. Even players were impressed. Emmett Smith is the NFL's all-time leading rusher. 
Oh, without a doubt, it was. I thought it was cool that that I was in the video game, and uh, when it came down to Madden, it was real cool. <laughs> <laughs> By 2001, a whole generation of young players was hooked on the game. Through my whole college time playing video games. Like Buccaneers receiver Jaquez Green. When do you play? You play on your off days, you play at night? Play every day. Every day I play, whenever I go home I play. Play all weekends, I play before I go to the stadium on game days. It's my whole dream. I want to make the NFL just to play in this right here. More than I want to play in the NFL. <laughs> that year, Jaquez won a Celebrity Madden Bowl tournament and collected a giant trophy from John Madden. It's telling to see John handing that trophy to a player in 2001 because the game was becoming more player-centric. That year, for the first time, John Madden was not on the game's cover. Instead, it was a player, Eddie George. And for the first time in years, other games, like 2K and Game Day, were challenging Madden's dominance. I remember hearing stories about certain players would not license their likenesses uh, for Madden, but they were going to license for 2K. As a game developer, Mike Micah was on the front lines as the battle between Madden and its competitors heated up. It became this fractured thing. I remember it being a huge fight for attention because you have all these people licensing the NFL and then trying to get their attention in time to help promote their games. And so it, it became like the bloodthirsty war at that point. In 2004, 2K is trending really well. It looks and plays basically better than Madden. I remember working on a proposal to bring the latest version of 2K to Game Boy Advance, I think it was. And then news broke that Electronic Arts, with all this pressure from every company around them, locked in the NFL as an exclusive license. It was like a nuclear bomb going off in the game industry. I knew things were bad because our, our call that we're supposed to have got canceled immediately. It was, it was weeks until we heard from them again. All these people who assumed they'd be able to renew their license with the NFL had to drop everything they were doing. You had development houses cancel their games and some places go out of business. Overnight, Madden reclaimed the throne without having to lift a finger on the development side. EA's exclusive partnership with the league meant no other game could use NFL player names, team names, or logos. There couldn't be another video game about the NFL. With the stroke of a pen, Electronic Arts had vanquished Madden's competition. Now, Madden faced a different kind of challenge. Now, like the, the biggest threat to Madden is Madden itself. How do you develop a game that every year can improve upon the last year? As technology has advanced, the video game industry as a whole has pursued greater and greater realism, and Madden has consistently set the standard. The suspension of disbelief gets that much better every year, and they've really created this amazing system. When you see a player in the game, you recognize that player. They have their face down to the sweat, down to the helmet, the scrapes on the helmet, the mouthpieces, even down to the shoelaces. It's something that like, feels like you're watching a real game of football. The result has been a video game that keeps fans coming back every year 
for its annual release. They've sold at least over 125 million copies of the game since 89. And to put that in perspective, I mean, I think that's over probably four and a half billion dollars of sales. That makes the franchise probably equal to, if not more than, the value of Lucasfilm and Star Wars. And some of the game's biggest fans are NFL players themselves. Oh yeah, I'm all over that, baby. Madden is a staple in player lounges and hotel rooms. The good old new Madden. I heard they had San Antonio out there going. Oh mm-hmm. man, they got me give you water when you're tired everything. <laughs> <man>. Perfect. <laughs> Though players do have one consistent complaint. Their own ratings. I've only had one player in the history of Madden not complain. That was Emmett Smith years ago when he played for the Dallas Cowboys. And he was in a locker room, in the Cowboy locker room, and some guys were playing. He was watching them play, and someone was him, and he was watching them. He said, holy moly, I'm doing stuff in, in the video game that I've never done in the game. But he's the only guy that ever said, you know, I'm too good in the game. The core thing that stretches through all of this with players is that they all want to be better. It's just that simple. The guy responsible for player ratings for most of the last decade was Donnie Moore. Yeah, I'm probably better known as the rating czar for Madden, and that is on my business card. He has since stepped back from that role, but for years as rating czar... This is it. This is where the magic happens. His Um, cubicle was stacked with books and magazines. Lots of uh, scouting information. Enormous three-ring binders filled with heavily highlighted double-sided printouts. Basically comments that we kind of turn into numbers. Though research tools have evolved over the last decade... The objective has remained constant. There was great pride and great responsibility with trying to portray everything as authentically and accurately as possible. If you go back to look at the early Maddens, there's like 5, 8, 10 ratings. Then we expanded that to about 20, 25, and now we're pushing like 70, 75, 80 ratings that make up a player. Even individual team playbooks get translated from the field to the game. Anthony White has worked on them for over a decade. We pay attention to such minute details as what hash mark will they run this play from, you know, what defensive coverage are they running this play for, how are they blocking this particular blitz scheme when they're running this play. He watches hundreds of hours of game film. And to make sure Madden stays true to what's happening in the NFL, EA also brings in analysts and coaches. Did you pull the guards in? Yeah, we, we would pull the guard. We wanted as well as players, <laughs> like Hall of Famer Marshall Falk, <laughs> who joined John Madden and the game's producers at EA's office in Florida to review the game when he was on the cover. Right. For the most part, we run out of They spend hours discussing everything from new game features to offensive formations. And their eye, the fullback's not always there. Right, he's not always there. Yeah. Okay. You know, that should always be an option, too, that your fullback can motion either way. These meetings have been a staple of John's relationship with EA through the years. We'll take a look at that. That's pretty easy for us to fix. I watch and make sure that anything that happens in the NFL, that we get in to the Madden game. John, he was always fantastic about spotting these high-level trends and almost enforcing to us, like, hey, you guys got to have that in the game. That's like a new thing in football this year. And if they're playing my game, that, that we need to have it. Even as he's gotten older, John continues to regularly host the game's developers at his studio in California. Welcome. I just want you to know that I appreciate the work, the time, the effort, the knowledge, the passion, and everything that you put in uh, to the Madden video game. 
It's a chance to review the state of Madden's game while watching a full slate of NFL games. And I think that one of the things that what I was trying to do is make the game look like it does here on TV. So we got this, this setup here and nine monitors. So thank you very much and let's watch football. And sometimes, like during one of their meetings in week one of 2009, the NFL itself plays out like a moment from Madden. For Madden's developers who were at the meeting that day, the replay of Brandon Stokely's touchdown revealed something striking. Time was running out, but it wasn't like zero, zero, zero on the clock. 11 seconds left. So what Stokely did is he runs parallel to the end zone. He's not, and he's not doing it to like taunt. He's actually doing it strategically. He's burning time off the clock by not going into the end zone until he absolutely has to. And for us, we were all in the room. And that's something that a Madden video game player is very well aware of. Like, they, that's how you play the game. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to leave him any time on the clock. I'm going to be, you know, a jerk, and I'm going to run parallel to the goal line for as long as I can, and then I'll go in the end zone. It was like a surreal moment to see Brandon Stokely had to have gotten that piece of strategy from video game playing. And to be there with John, the moment it's happening, it's almost like a full circle, like, oh my God, we're now, the video game is now influencing how the actual players are playing on the field. We have these young players in the NFL who grew up playing Madden. They learned about football through Madden as much as they learned by playing it. And you look at it today, you know, that's a really remarkable and fast transformation. For Trip Hawkins, this development is part of a fundamental cultural change from when he first set out to make the game. When I started making video games, they were a shameful occupation and a shameful hobby. They've become mainstream. And people like John Madden were very instrumental in enabling video games to become a central part of modern culture. I have a 10-year-old son who is learning about football through Madden. I think kids growing up today, John Madden is somehow football. And there's just no separating them. You can tell how people know you by what they call you. And there are people who do call me coach. And then, and then people call me Madden. Just, hey, Madden! You know, it's a video game guy. I'll see you over at my house. We'll play Madden. You know, and then they see me and they say, hey, there's Madden. Hey, Madden! John was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2006. And I said, they can't take this away, can they? I mean, they can't say we're kidding. We want it back. I said, no, we can't take it away. Said, hey. Not as a broadcaster, not as a contributor. He was inducted as a coach. He is kind of every man's coach. <laughs> I'm a coach. You know, and that's what I am. And everything goes around that. I think if history looks back 100 years from now at the evolution of football, I think many people will confuse John Madden as the inventor of the sport. I did say to him once, I said, do you realize that you are immortal? And he said, what do you mean? In another 100 years, the Madden game will still go on. Hence, John Madden is an immortal. 
John loves that. He, he like when I told him, he's gone. <laughs> Thanks for listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. My name is Jody Avergan. ESPN Films senior producer Aaron Leiden is our series editor. This episode was created in partnership with NFL Films. This story was produced by Dave Newpower with production support from Emma Jacobs and 30 for 30's own Andrew Mambo. It was narrated by Will Wheaton. The coordinating producer for this episode was Ken Rogers. Brandon Murphy was the project manager and 30 for 30's Taylor Barfield was production assistant. The executive producers for this episode were Ross Kedover and Pat Kelleher. Mixing for this episode by Mike Kennedy. The 30 for 30 podcast team also includes Kate McAuliffe, Vin D'Anton, Ryan Nantel, and producers Keith Romer and Julia Lowry-Henderson. Connor Schell and Libby Geist are executive producers for ESPN Films. Adam Newhouse is director of development. The ESPN Films team includes Deirdre Fenton, Jenna Anthony, Catherine Sankey, Jennifer Thorpe, Alex Bowen, Paul Williard, and Colin Fleming. The ESPN audio team includes Trog Keller, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannisini, and Ryan Graner. Special thanks to Moya Dacey, Sean Grady, and the whole Electronic Arts team. Thanks to ESPN's Ryan Hurley, Ray Dinahan, RJ Santillo, Rodney Belazer, Tony Chow, and Kate LaRue. Louise Argianis and Jennifer Thorpe did archival research. Roger Jackson provided fact-checking. Our theme music was composed by Rishikesh Hirway of Song Exploder. We're posting lots of extras on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. What is your favorite version of Madden? Let us know. And you can sign up for the newsletter through our website, 30for30podcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to 30 for 30 Podcasts in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week with more 30 for 30.